Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Hello, it's the Fulhamish podcast, bringing you regular Fulham discussions straight to your ears. My name is Sammy James, and on tonight's show, we will look back at Saturday's victory over Millwall as hallelujah, Fulham kept a clean sheet at home. And Holly Norwood hit the spot to record a 1-0 victory over our South London neighbours. And in the studio tonight, I have three A-listers of my own. The blockbuster, Ben Jarman. Hello, friends. The VK buster, Don Betts. Hello, hello. And the can buster, Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. How are we all doing? Yeah, good. Good, good, good. It's a... um... A happy week after six points. Well, yeah, we got the better introduction out of VK Buster and Can Buster. Blockbuster. Yeah. I saved the best for you, Ben, this week. Um, yeah, morale is high in the studio after two wins in a row, seven points from nine. We'll be looking back uh, at Saturday's game and also previewing the West London derby against Brentford in a little bit too. But first, some three-word reviews from Saturday. Now, it was a victory, Jack, which always means we get less three-word reviews. So, choice might be a little bit short, but I'm sure... Still plenty to select from. It's very much not short. Um, thanks to that introduction, I'm going to continually sing the Dam Busters theme tune every time you see me for, for the next sort of six weeks. So okay. we've got that to look forward to. Um, our first <laughs> three-word view is from Aussie Cottager. He says, overdue, overdue shithouse win, which I thought was good. Mm, kind of four words. Robbie Partridge said, the flat whites, <laughs> which was clever, I thought. Yeah. Lars Anderson, bring back Hutchinson. Which amused me greatly. David Kettlehake's ugly is fine. And to round it off, Chris F says Ojo wins again. Well, he was very impressive on Saturday. More on Ojo in just a little bit. Just to say that Fulhamish is back this season by Ladbrokes. Right now, Fulhamish listeners can bet £5, get £20. The deal has not changed. If you deposit a fiver, Ladbrokes will add another 20 quid to your account. You can get this offer by following the link at bet.fulhamish.co.uk. Jack, not the prettiest of wins, but it was enough and we got a clean sheet out of it as well. So more positives than negatives. Yeah, definitely. I think that ultimately we've been crying out for a clean sheet for absolutely ages and you know, over the course of the game, it didn't really look at any given point that we were going to concede, aside from, you know, a long-range strike kind of out of nothing, which Millwall, you know, hit the post late on. I think that ultimately we did okay, we did enough, and, um, you know, it's hard to say what would have happened if we hadn't got a penalty. Would we have kicked on second half and and done things maybe a little bit differently, perhaps? But, you know, ultimately, we, we did what was needed, we did what was necessary, and it's quite nice just to, you know, to grind out one of those wins at home uh, and prove that we can actually keep a clean sheet, albeit against quite a poor and limited Millwall side. Don, would you take um, a season full of 1-0 wins like that at home? Yeah, take that every day of the week. Um, you can play as well as you like, but it's a result that matters at the end of the day, to be honest. like You can play exceptionally well like Burnley did against Arsenal, but they lost 1-0 they lost and they didn't get anything from the game. Neither team played particularly well. We got three points, and that all, that's all that really matters. We just keep getting on this run of form, which we showed last season, just breeds results, and it gives us a lot of confidence going into the uh, West London derby on Friday. Ben, um, a few eyebrows raised at the team selection by Slav. I think the main one was Sess dropping back to left back, which after scoring a hat-trick seemed a little bit nuts. Actually, though, when you looked a little bit deeper, Tim Ream was unavailable, as was Kevin McDonald. So he didn't have a huge amount of choice in that, although maybe Michael Maddell could have solved the problem. I think we have to start up a hashtag that's uh, hashtag find Maddell because he's been absolutely absent for the past you know few few weeks and then going into months but I'm disappointed he's not playing or not even in consideration because I do think that when he's played over the past sort of 18 months to a year he's came in and done a, a very good job and I think as as close as you can get to Reem in the in our backup ranks is probably Michael Maddell um I think he's good at playing out of the back um and really offers us a good out ball like it's in the same way that Tim Reem does obviously he's probably not as good in the air um, I was a bit concerned that Sess at left back, but I think he, for the most part he handled himself quite well. Um, and I think he offered something going forward um, more often than not. Uh, I just wish that his passing would be a little bit more precise and, and crisp because in the first half, especially coming down this left-hand side towards the Putney end, he was sending a few balls rather awry. Um, it was kind of like, when, especially when we were on the counter, he seemed a little bit too hurried. Um, I just wish he would you know, calm it down a little bit and, and take a, an extra second to pick his spot. Quite ironic that the first home clean sheet since January um, coincided with the dropping of our first choice centre-back and centre-defensive midfielder. 
Yeah, it's a little bit strange that, but like Jack says, we weren't really under the cosh at any particular point. And whilst we didn't really need a CDM in there, the quality was quite poor anyway. So I think, if anything, if we did have McDonald in there, I could have seen us having a bit of a firmer grip on, on the game. Especially when, towards the end of the first half, it got a little bit end-to-end and we found ourselves more or less on the counter-attack for probably about 70% of those last 25 minutes. Um, I just wish we would have had McDonald in there to sort of you know, shore up that midfield and, and act as a little bit more of a protection to those centre-backs. But as we touched on last week, Norwood in front of the, of the back uh, four isn't too bad because he does just like to sit in there and offer an angle. Um, I mean, there's not much you can say about dropping your first-choice centre-back and, and see Yemen and keeping a clean sheet other than the quality probably wasn't very high. And the fact that we managed to sustain it with uh, a certain jello on the pitch... Uh, probably speaks volumes well we will come on to Mr Marcelo in just a little bit but still struggled Jack to break down this Millwall side and they didn't offer an awful lot but they did have a few chances and Tom Elliott hit the post early on as well I wanted to come on to our lack of attacking prowess though it was still just a penalty that decided it and two goals in open play in five home matches is nowhere near enough no it's not and you know, part of the the problem this season we've said has been, you know, scoring goals, especially at home and especially against teams that want to sit back and soak up pressure. But we said on on after on our preview podcast for this game that Millwall weren't it wasn't going to be like Sheffield United. There wasn't going to be that kind of open space and it wasn't going to be there to exploit. And ultimately, even at one 0 up, Millwall didn't really go looking for 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 an equaliser really until the very end. And to be honest, that would have probably suited them you know, far more to have scored an equaliser on, you know, 85 minutes than it would have to score an equaliser on 52. But it, you know, it shows that we we kept plugging and we, we did eventually find that gap and, you know, that penalty is the difference. Like I said before, I think it would might have been a different second half if we hadn't scored a penalty and if it was nil-nil at half time. But, you know, you, you look at the chances, Shea Yojo missing, you know, missing that chance that when Cesc paid him in, there was another moment, I think the key moment for me was at one point Fulham broke and Ojo was sort of rampaging down the wing and through the middle was Tom Kearney, you know, in miles of open space and, you know, all it needed was a square ball and Tom Kearney was one-on-one with the keeper and, you know, of all the people that I trust going one-on-one with the keeper, Tom Kearney's up there. So, you know, you look at that and you look at fine margins. If that ball had been slipped through, it could have been 2-0 and we could have been hits here talking about a very comfortable win over, you know, particularly poor Millwall side, especially if they then had to go out and search for a goal because you can't just wait for the last 10 minutes if you're 2-0 down. Yeah. But, you know, it, it means it means a lot to get the clean sheet, of course. And, you know, you look at someone like Brentford where it's going to be an attacking, open, free-flowing game, you'd imagine, at Griffin Park. You know, they get the ball down and they play on the deck and, you know, they actually play a very, very good style of football, unlike their you know, cousins over at QPR. But I think we will cousins. we will see a we will see a, a more open game which will lead to more chances and therefore probably more goals on, on, on Saturday. I think one thing we're definitely struggling with is when those when opposition teams, especially when we're at home, put those like 10, 10 men behind the ball. And we really struggle to understand what we, what needs to be done to break them open. And I think one thing that we have as a team is 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 an, is an identity now of where last season the wingers like to pull wide and create space and um, make sure the game is stretched, especially in the opposition's half. We now have two wingers in the likes of Cabano and Ojo, both of whom like to come inwards and cut in and try and shoot on their right and left foots respectively. So it means that instead of the ball coming out wide and forcing the defence or midfield out and then stretching and making gaps and putting them from one side to the other side of the pitch, it all all becomes very centralised. And a ball in the centre is, is so easy to defend. It, it, like you could see at times Millwall were just lapping it up as if you know, it was their dinner. And uh, you kind of wish that we had someone to hit the byline or if um, Slav would tell Ojo and Cabano to like sit on the sidelines, much that Guardiola did against uh, Huddersfield uh, in the Premier League this weekend. He literally just told Sterling and uh, Mane to sit on the sidelines and then push the, the full-backs up and just had a, a back three, two centre-backs and a DM just sitting there. And that could have been the difference for Fulham if they'd overloaded wide areas. It, it's, it, I think we should do that a little bit more, but that's just my tactical um, preference. Coming on to Ojo, though, I do really like his direct style of play. He's willing to carry the ball and, and he's willing to make runs with, you know, with it and really try and change the game and pick the ball up by the scruff of the neck. And we have been lacking that and we said this against Sheffield United what kind of impact his his running has and when we saw it again in the flesh on Saturday I feel like we do seem 
much more effective with him in the team. Yeah, because we, we, we always seem to complaining that we play this passive possession football which isn't really going anywhere, but it works to an extent but you, that you can play that way. But you need a direct outlet going forward and we have that in Ojo now because... Yeah, with with the like with I like Cabano, but sometimes I feel he messes around with it too much. Same with Aite, whereas Ojo's completely different. He's always going for goal and what does set up some chances. Unfortunately, he didn't play in Tom Kearney. But yeah, even when he before he got injured, I, I thought he was direct. He just didn't have as much of his end product. But I think his end product's improved actually since he's come back. I think he wants to prove a point because he, he he didn't. He's not like our best player, and I think he knows that. But I think he wants to be one of our best players, which is which is a good thing. And I think he can only get better. And yeah, I think if he just him keeps him working on his end products, he he would be a very very important player. But as Ben said, our wingers do need to not always be cutting inside. They do need to know when to go down to the byline and get balls into the box. I think it, you you need to have players who can do both and use them at the right time. Um, Neil Harris said that the penalty was very harsh in in his words. A quick poll in the studio, Ben. Penalty, yes or no? Uh, yeah. Jack? Yes. And Dom? Yeah. Thought that might be the case. I did... It's you, poor can, you can see why, though, Neil Harris yeah, was a little bit aggrieved. Yeah, I mean, of it, course you can. But it's, it's one of those things that is, it's a silly thing to say that it's a con when you see those penalties given every single week, week in, week out in the championship. And it's an absolute nonsense to suggest that that's a con thing. You know what? You know, you see penalties given, you know, left, right and centre for players taking contact and going down. There's nothing wrong with taking contact and going down. And if someone pulled my shirt in the box, I'd be down as well. It, it, it makes absolutely zero sense to try and be honourable when you're trying to win football games. There's, there's a difference between cheating and being like, right, this guy's an idiot. I'm going to make the most of him being an idiot to therefore benefit my team. Yeah, it's not like what Fernandinho did against Huddersfield, where no. he just totally dies when there's no contact. There is contact, and players nowadays know if you if you, if you feel contact, go down because you're more likely you're not going to win the penalty. And it's not conning the referee because if the player's making the contact in the first place, he's putting himself in a position where he can give away a penalty. Don't be stupid. Don't hold people's shirts in the box because if you do and they try and get away with you, away from you, and you're stood flat-footed, and you know. Oh, McLaughlin is flat-footed. He, you know, he has no, he has no clue where Font's going. So what he does is he grabs his shirt, and as soon as Rui Font feels that grabbing his shirt enough to take the contact, he goes down. And absolutely the, the right thing to do. And you know what? Fair play to him. That's an assist for Rui Font. Well, Rui Font's won a couple of penalties so far this season. He also won the one against Preston as well. But um, let's come on to him because again, he didn't have a huge impact on the game. Although you can really see that the quality that he does add to our game up front. It just seems to me he's not getting on the end of things and he's not making that direct visual impact on a game that most fans want to see. And from a striker, it still doesn't feel like he's doing enough for me. I'm not saying we should drop him. I still think he needs a clear run of games up front on his own and he doesn't still need a goal. But I would just like to see... A little bit more directness from Font. That I I've um, I wrote some notes during the game actually. I think I thought that Font did have uh, an an outcome on the game, but mainly because he was really good at harrying and pressing the defence. And obviously, when you've got Sean Hutchinson who likes to do big, long, direct balls, and then the same from the other centre back as well. When you've got someone like Font putting you under pressure, that distribution is going to be nowhere near as good. And their distribution at times wasn't great. And I think it's down to his work ethic, but. You can see what you're saying. He definitely has some sort of quality there. It's just that, it, as Jack highlighted on last week's pod, he's not used to having this little time. I mean, the Portuguese league is is a league where you get a lot of time and a lot of space, um, and that allows you to capitalise on any mistakes or you know clear opportunities that you have. And in this league, you don't get that. But you can see that week by week, he's slightly he's getting a little bit faster. He's getting a little bit more attuned to it. And although there are times when you know he. He let the ball go very cheaply in the second half just before mm. he was hauled off. And I think a lot of people were just... That was when, I guess, that they, the, the tether sort of broke. But before that, I thought he was he actually did have quite a good, although un, understated, impact on the game. I completely agree. And, you know, this is going to sound a bit like the broken record again. But, you know, the, the way that Font, you know, harried, not in terms of the way, obviously, he did 
what Ben is saying and Harry the defenders when the ball was on the floor but also we did actually play more long balls this year and Button did actually clear a lot of them and it was actually Font working really hard you know and pressing those defenders even even though he didn't necessarily win the ball in the air he was pressing defenders and they made mistakes when he was up against them and that ball was dropping in and you know we nearly benefited from that me and you spoke about this at the weekend from uh, from one of the direct goal kicks that they got headed down to Nisken Cabano and he nearly, nearly got in on because of it and that was all because Font actually was pressing the centre-backs high and, and, and making things happen up there. And, and, and it makes a difference, you know, to see someone who understands the game and, and chases the ball in the right places try and try and shut down those channels in, in the back four. And what it meant was that Millwall played a very, very, very long ball game. And, you know, yes, they probably would have done so anyway. But hurried, a hurried clearance from Sean Hutchinson is far likely to find, you know, far less likely to find its target than a non-hurried clearance from Sean Hutchinson. And as thus, you know, I think that's one of the main reasons we felt so un, not under, the, under pressure for, for the majority of the game. I think that kind of harrying of the centre-backs really did really change things in our favour. I think... When Fulham fans saw what we what what we bought like number nine, a captain from Braga, they were expecting an out out number nine who's just going to bag twenty thirty goals a season. But Rui Font's never been that sort of striker. His best work is done off the ball, especially in what performances I've seen so far. Because obviously, apart from Ipswich away, everyone thought oh he might kick on from here and get goals every every other game. But that's not what his game's about, really. His game's about off the ball and creating actually more chances for our, our clinical wingers, such as Ojo and Sessegnon when they've been forward. I know he didn't play in the Sheffield game, but what I've seen of him when his off-the-ball performances have been a lot, a lot better as far as I'm concerned. So I think what's good also is like last season, our only number nine option was Chris Martin, whereas Font and Kamara are two very different options. Yeah, definitely. You've got the off-the-ball work that pretty much both of them do, but obviously you've got Kamara who can run in behind, which we saw in the Not in a Forest away game. But I think Font, yeah, off the ball, he was really, really good on the, on the weekend. He was still only like a 7 out of 10, 6 out of 10. But, you know, I think he just needs to have a run of games. That's the only reason how he's going to improve. I've, and I think once he scores, I think you mentioned it, Ben, well, Chris Martin last season. Once he gets into a run of scoring goals, he'll score a lot of goals. Let's come on to the decline of Stefan Johansson. It is a very sad and sensitive subject in this studio because our man, our little god, that was so great <laughs> last season just continues to put in poor performances and it is so upsetting to see. He seems so hurried, hurried, harried on the ball and just his distribution's poor and he seems panicked whenever he gets the ball and it was a really poor 45 minutes from Steph Joe and I was quite excited to see him back on the team sheet uh, on Saturday. I was thinking, right, here we go, Steph Joe. Not the greatest midfield you're ever going to come up against. You're going to put in the goods today and still, still struggling and pulled off after 45 minutes. It's just so sad to see. I don't think that's a tactical sub. Like, as in, as much as I rate Slavisa, you know, having the balls to make calls like that, I don't think you make that kind of sub at 1-0 up if if there's not an injury or something because it, it doesn't seem... The game didn't need changing at that point. If if it had been 0-0 and he'd brought on a striker for a midfielder, I would have maybe, maybe said, yeah, okay, fair enough. That That makes more sense. But to pull Steph off at that point, I think there's surely more, you know, fitness related than than performance related. Not that he was playing well. Like, I'm, I'm, that's not me defending. But him, do you not think if it um, was injury, he'd have gone with a more like for like replacement, like mm. Tayo Eden or even De La Torre? My my view of this is that before the game, he um, he had a, a fever, didn't he? And he had been he had been unwell. That's why he missed the Sheffield United yeah. game. Yeah. So it could be a fact that he pr- he may not have sh- have shrugged it off. That, obviously, that's no excuse for the way that he played. I thought, like Sammy said, he was very hurried on the ball. His distribution was nothing short of terrible. And um, I don't. I wish he would use his right foot a little bit more instead of trying to do the outside of a left foot at all times. But the way I saw it is sort of like Slavisa wanted to get more out of TC and therefore dropped him deeper because at, in that first half TC wasn't particularly influential. Other aside. An absolutely wonderful ball on 30 minutes oh. through to Cabano. Have you seen his tweet about is, this? Yeah, I'll put you on the knife and fork with that. Like, <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> and I, I mean, like that that was probably the only moment of pure quality within the game, other than the fact that Norwood's penalty was pretty good. But the, I think the Slav wanted to... He could, he adjusted the team to allow Tom Kearney, uh, Tom Kearney a little bit more space in deeper to try and unlock a Millwall defence that was pretty organised. And the way that we saw him do that last year against the likes of Rotherham, the likes of Burton and against Nottingham Forest as well was by dropping him deeper in a little bit more of a withdrawn role and then putting someone else in the 10. 
And I think that's what he tried to do with Fonte, although it didn't really work out for him. And then obviously he was he was subbed off for Eden, and I thought again he done really well. Yeah, he did. Uh, he did do really well. Sorry, I tried to crowbar <laughs> another pun in there, but it didn't quite work, did it? Uh, that through ball to Sessignon uh, late yeah, in the sublime. second and a half. It's just unbelievable. What do we think about his all-round game, though? He looked good going forward, but um, as as Nick McNee wrote in a brilliant um, article that he put up on Fulhamish earlier today, it was up right now, he did say that defensively he's still not 100% there, but on his second league start or second league appearance, I guess... He was always going to have a little bit I mean, of improvement. You've got to think about it. He's not a natural centre midfielder. He, 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 didn't, he hasn't played there for his entire youth career. It's just Slav has, has seen something in training where he thinks he can do a job there, and he clearly can. He's very good at driving forward. He's clearly got defensive capabilities because he has played in defensive positions before. But no, he's played with a lot of uh, the likes of Delatore, the likes of Sessignon. So when he's, he clearly knows the link up he's got with Sessignon, he's played with him at youth level for a long, long time. So I think, yeah, you can only improve, and I think his, he can clearly see he's a very... Direct central midfield. He's always looking to go forward the ball, playing good direct balls on on onto the wings. So I think, yeah, I think he could actually be an important player for us for the rest of the season. Now uh, Button was getting quite a lot of stick from various parts of the crowd. We talked about this on Thursday's podcast of you know should Bettinelli be back in the side? It was getting me pretty wound up. Now I don't normally get too wound up by other fans. I'm always thinking I'm sitting on the fence here, but. At the end of the day, he's been given an instruction to play it short, out the back, pass it to the defence. And there's also the fact that if he passes it short and there's no option for the centre-back that he's passed it to, they can pass it back to Button and then he can go long. Better to try the first one. You, you can go short, it not work, and then go long. But if you go long, you can't change your mind and go, oh, no, we should have gone short. And, and for the whole crowd, pretty much, in unison to sarcastically cheer when... He does finally go long. Just seems, just seems a bit poor for me. I just don't think that Button is the one that you need to be given the criticism to here. Fair enough if you don't think that's the way we should play, but it's not Button making those decisions. He's simply following orders. Jeering him is is so childish, and it doesn't do anything for for the confidence of the keeper or the confidence of the team. So, I don't know. I don't. I don't necessarily agree with it. Whatever. I think normally there's two reasons for playing a ball on the floor especially out from a goalkeeper. Firstly, it's because your team is miles smaller than the other one, in which case Millwall are absolutely huge. Look at their centre-back, he's like six foot seven. You've got Tom Elliott, who's again, is six foot six. Sean Hutchinson's not small, and their centre midfielders are pretty tall as well. And then you've got the likes of Cabano, who's also fairly small. And then Edom, when he came on, is small as well. And Tom Kenny's not going to win a hell of a lot in the air. If you pump that ball... In the air against a team that big, it's just going to come back at you. And it, the quicker the ball comes back, the easier it is for the opposition to score because you're not going to be set up. Secondly, the reason you would play out from the back is because it draws the team onto you. If you if you look at the way Millwall started to play, they were vacating their, their wingers and vacating the wing backs and also pushing up the centre midfielders. If you can find that space in there, like we did on a number of occasions, you can get through the press of like two or three banks of players in about four passes, and it means that you can, you can you can get on the counter attack very very quickly, and you can you can hit that space, and you can once you find a sequence of passes that works for you, it's normally three or four maximum. You can get through what Millwall were trying to do fairly simply, and Sky always highlight this every time we play on the box. It's that Fulham will never change, and we're always high risk, and we are, but it works, especially if you get the press right. I just wish we were a little bit further up the pitch and a little bit wider and there was a couple more options in midfield but other than that it was it was fine yeah as in the ball out to the you know the center backs who split is a very very common tactic and mm-hmm. you know you you'll see it in in loads of teams i, I think one of the, the the usual examples that sky used was um was back the Liverpool team under Brendan Rodgers, who who very nearly won the league that year, where Gerrard would drop back between the two centre backs and they'd split, and he'd play as almost a quarterback. Okay. Um, but what what they do is they they'd split their they'd split the defence into five, and then basically move it through those quarters and and bring teams onto them and pass their way around them. And that's the only way you're going to get through teams, especially at the cottage when they're putting ten, banks of ten behind the ball. It's it's very simple in terms of. When you have a team who have come like Millwall to frustrate and to and and to wind Fulham up and 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 try and get a headed goal from a corner, you have to play the ball on the floor and and beat them in a passing game. Because if we start lumping the ball into the box, we're never going to get anything. And it, it's absolute madness to to assume that you know just because we occasionally get a knockdown from a bad header from a centre back, that's the way to play. 
Yeah, exactly. And also, Bettinelli's distribution is no it's better. Even worse. Than, is no better than David Barnes. No, not at all. It is rubbish. And 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 realistically, people people who think that who want to claim that Bettinelli should be in for Button because Button's distribution is is bad are wrong. If, I'm happy to listen to discussions about this. And if someone thinks that Ben Ali has a better you know, command of his area than Button, then we can discuss it. But in, in terms of distribution, Ben Ali is not the answer. I think there's still a stigma because Button's come from Brentford and people don't want to accept it. I also, in my lifetime supporting Fulham, I cannot remember having a keeper that is... Excellent at distributing. Schwarzer was terrible. Martin Stecklenburg. Stecklenburg actually. But he uh, couldn't actually do yeah, goalkeeping. He, he was so. rubbish at saving the ball, so therefore you might as well play the centre back and go. But Jack said this in pre season that there aren't many good there are many goalkeepers who are good at shot stopping no, and no. have good distribution. Those that are are normally playing for clubs way above our stature. Yeah. They're yeah, worth well, their weight well, in gold, aren't well, they? Fulham aren't gonna buy Testagan anytime soon, are they? No. Yeah, or Edison Moray. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, Basilison. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. there are, there maybe are some goalkeepers that we could have bought in the summer that would have improved. I the, think the that current... was, I was surprised we didn't buy a goalkeeper. I thought that that and a forward was the positions we were going to strengthen. Or a proper centre back. Yeah, exactly. But, but I, th- I think we saw the goalkeeping. I wouldn't say wasn't was an issue last year, but we knew there's definitely better options available than Button and Bettinelli in the league. And if to get top two, which I presume what the board and Slav wanted, I thought we'd go out and try and get one. Yeah, but okay, you go for Ruddy. He was free. Yeah, he's just quite old, isn't he? The the thing is, I think and error prone. I think if yeah, if if Fulham had thought that there was a better goalie on the market available in the price ranges we wanted, I think we would have gone for them. Mm. The fact that we didn't suggests that that option wasn't available. But, you know, you look at someone like Darren Randolph at Middlesbrough, right? Who's a good, a very very good shot stopper. Um, not particularly brilliant with his feet, but you know has, has saved Middlesbrough and, and the Republic on, on numerous times. You know, both through a qualification in the, for the World Cup and this season. And he's made like a number of stops. Even here at the weekend, just absolutely spooned one into the air and Vidra scored like direct from it coming down. Like, is it, it's an amazing spoon. It's an amazing spoon. It's well worth a watch if you haven't seen it. But it, it is one of those where even someone of Randolph's kind of stature, who's, you know, quite widely considered one of the best goalkeepers in this league, and, and correctly so, is, is still making mistakes like that. Then you can't be like, oh, right, all championship keepers must be, must be world class. Like... You know, if, if there were options available to us at reasonable prices, I think we would have taken them. And I think that the, the way that we're the only way we're going to find a keeper who's unbelievably, you know, good at shot stopping and distribution is if we randomly pluck someone from a lower league. And what I'm hoping is that the kind of, you know, the decline of Craig Klein in, in that sense, and and the fact that James Lovell obviously is more attuned with the English leagues than 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 Klein was, means that we will start looking in those kind of places to try and find bargains. And I'm sure we'll come on to this, but you know, obviously in different positions, someone like Ollie Watkins, who's come up into this league for Brentford from Exeter and done absolute you know wonders in the middle and and really looks very accomplished and at home at this level. Potentially, we'll be able to find someone like that in a lower league who's a good key, good shot stopper, and good good with his feet. And, and and that's I think the only way that Fulham are going to bring in a, a keeper of this of that caliber at, at this level without spending absolute fortunes. It's the goalkeeper's curse as well, isn't it? They've always attracted attention for the wrong reasons. Goalkeepers rarely get credit; they all, often get criticism. All goalkeepers are crazy, as as the famous book once says. Um, Dom, were you quite surprised to see Marcelo Jallo get an appearance? Number twenty three existed. To be perfectly honest, <clears throat> um, yeah, I don't know what. The point in him is really... Uh, I mean, he's a big mountain of a man. Was Slav not just trying to protect Fulham well, no, from the just, barrage looked, of long we balls? He looked an absolute liability as soon as he came on, really. He he just throws himself at the ball and doesn't actually have any technical ability whatsoever, really, as far as I'm concerned. He's just... like I don't know why we signed him. I really just don't... I don't get what statistics prove he's any good. It's one thing signing him, it's another thing playing him. Yeah, and what I like, everyone says, oh, it's because Maddell's a client signing, but everyone was like marauding over Callas and Maddell at the beginning of last season. So Slav clearly rates Maddell to some extent, surely. He wouldn't have played him for probably about a year if he, if he didn't like him anyway. It just makes no sense to me. I don't know where he is. He hasn't just, unless he like slept with Slav's wife over the summer, <laughs> I don't really know what's happened. <laughs> what's Maddell's latest place on Instagram? Is he still in the country? 
I think he's hanging out of Lucas Piazza in cafes somewhere. So that's yeah. the last time I saw him. Some it seafood is. restaurant in a film. With, with Facts Not Fiction 9. That's where <laughs> I saw him last. <laughs> yeah, free justice, from, hashtag justice for Maddle, I think, is, is the play. Look, Jallo actually, you know, for all for all these worth, didn't didn't do too badly, I think. and think didn't that's do too well either. No, he didn't do too well either. He gave away right. that free kick that I had my heart in my mouth yeah, for. Yeah, no, I completely agree. He didn't do, I, I'm not saying that he did wonders. He just didn't, he didn't do as badly as I was expecting him to. And I think that that does have to be raised. Yeah, like, he won a few headers. Yeah, he did. And that and was kind of what was asked of Do him. I want to see him again? No. But, you know, did he did he actually do all right? Yeah. But remember, as, as long as he's played, we ain't lost. And as long as he's played, we ain't conceded a goal. Yeah, exactly. 100% Marcelo, <laughs> as I call it. He's actually the best Marcelo in the world. Right, yeah. Bang on. Beth, Ben's just giving me the biggest death stare <laughs> of all time ever. Never so, say, never say anything bad about Spanish football. Um... Just before we move on to the Brentford game, just to say that Fulhamish has moved into the 21st century. No longer are we just audio. We have started some visual as well. And we've just set up a YouTube account. And we're looking into the possibility of doing some kind of match day vlogs and a little bit of reaction from the game and trying to build our YouTube account. There aren't many, if any, uh, Fulham YouTube accounts. So we just thought... You know, we like doing the podcast. Let's we, stretch this into the video world. We saw a gap in the market and we're exploiting it ruthlessly. Exactly. Like Shea like she Ojo in space. <laughs> like a TC through ball. Precisely. Um, so give us a subscribe if you have a YouTube account. Who doesn't have a YouTube account these days? Uh, you just get search. one automatically now with like, your Google account. Yeah, exactly. I don't think I've, I don't ever remember setting up a YouTube yeah, account. Yeah, exactly. So... Just find us, type in Fulhamish Podcast into YouTube, give us a subscribe, and we did a Millwall match day experience. I did a lot of it, and then met up with Jack at the end, and uh, we had a little bit of a nice chat. We did. It's interesting. You know what? It's a new for all of us, and your feedback and anything else like that is most welcome as well. I know it's not perfect, but... We're giving it a go. Exactly. So give us a subscribe, give us your feedback, and let us know if you'd like more stuff like that in the future. We're going to do one at Brentford as well, and um, hopefully, as Jack will give you the details later, we'll have a big amassing of Fulham fans to chat to at that game as well. So it's not just the, the viewpoints of myself, my dad, and Jack. Precisely. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> right, we'll come on to the Brentford game after this. Lads, do you not be the perfect Christmas present? Beer. Yeah, exactly. Do you know how you can get that? Beer 52. Well done. Do you know how you can get it really cheap? Put a co-fulham in. The checkout. Perfect. You actually get a free crate of 10 craft beers. Ben Jarman, how does that sound? Tasty. Don Betts, how does that sound? Team cans. Use the code Fulham at beer52.com and get it in time for Christmas. The code's not going to last for long. Hashtag Christmas cans. Big bag of fat Christmas cans. Well done, lads. Hello and welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. It's Sammy James here, joined by Ben Jarman, Jack Collins and Don Betts. Hola. So, Millwall complete. We've, uh, we've assessed that game, I think, as much as we possibly can. And we look forward to Saturday. It's the West London derby, another London derby coming up. This one a little bit more fiery, though. Although not much closer than the last one we had. Millwall is seven miles away as the crow flies. Any guesses to Brentford? 5.4, I'd say. Don Betts? Six. Ben Jarman? 7.2. Well, that would make no sense because that's more than Millwall. But four miles. Four miles to Brentwood. Brentwood? Brentwood. Brentwood's a lot Brentwood's further away. Brentwood's a lot, lot that's further away. That's out by Ben's gaff. Yeah. If you fancy a night out in Sugar Hut. Sugar Slut. <laughs> <laughs> right, well. Well, let's move on to the Brentwood game. Uh, a match that we'd probably have preferred earlier in the season given the Bees poor start they're now starting to live up to their potential somewhat mixed form of late though their draw with Burton the other night was fairly turgid according to various sources that I know that were there it's going to be it was rubbish let's let's be honest they were absolutely diabolical at points although their free kick is excellent it's going to be a tough game though we know that Brentford have got quality they're better than our other West London neighbours in the Championship for sure. Well, interesting. We'll see. Well, yeah. It's be interesting to see their game tonight, which should be kicking off in about twenty minutes' time. Anyway, Jack Brentford. Yeah, yeah. Brentford are a a, a ball playing unit, a bit like Fulham, who have amassed their ranks in a similar kind of uh, money ball sense in a way, but more from the lower leagues and, and and amassed them from 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 slightly more obscure sources than than Fulham have, um, which is. You know, obviously nothing to be sniffed at. And 
they they've they've done a really good job there and and while the chairman is has scaled back plans he you know he does seem to actually have a, a vision of Brentford playing Premier League fit, football in the future i think that Fulham should be able to beat Brentford if both teams were going at it hammering you know hammering nails and it, it came down to a, a pure shootout Fulham have superior quality to our to our B's neighbours but I would suggest that they will be massively fired up this game matters more to them than it does to us um, they see Fulham as their you know perennial rivals who you know have been finally restored to rightful parity whereas Fulham see Brentford as a, a, a brief annoyance and I think that ultimately you know they'll they will they will get behind their side at Griffin Park, and it's obviously a small stadium, but it's quite packed, quite tightly packed, and and they'll make you know they'll make noise down from that Ealing Road stand, and and hopefully Fulham will will have the sort of mental capacity to to deal with that extra kind of blood and thunder of a London derby. Tightly packed, but not packed out. No, they haven't sold out. This is um, something that has surprised me. Fulham sold out far faster than we expected to in in some in some cases, and I know a few people who were not expecting it to sell out quite as quickly as it did, and have been left stranded. Hashtag find Ben a ticket. Hashtag find Ben a ticket. Um, but yeah, um, Brentford haven't sold out for for the first time since since we've come back down and playing them again. Um, and not just not sold out. They there's there's sold loads out. of seats. They haven't sold out by a country mile and uh, there is serious consternation on the Brentford forums about the fact that they haven't they haven't yeah, our friends have been sorted. They haven't um they haven't sold this game out and there there are a lot of, you know, hardcore I say in in, in open brackets Brentford Brentford fans who are very very upset about the fact that they haven't sold out against Fulham. You know, last time they came to the cottage, they brought a boat, uh, and this time, this time they can't even sell out their home ground. So I, I don't know what that says about either Brentford or their fan base, but it, it looks like it looks like it's going to be a Fulham sellout and a non-Brentford sellout. No wonder their uh, chairman doesn't fancy building a twenty thousand seater stadium. Dom, let's look at the players. Uh, Brentford have got plenty of danger men. Ollie Watkins, probably the main one, played very well this season. Chipped in with six goals and. Um, Neil Morpai as well up front. FM got... 14 legend is what he is. <laughs> he's got a few and clearly has potential as well. He's still young. Yeah, yeah, he is. I think he was about 17 on FM 14 or something like that. But Yeah, no, they have got a good side and we know how well they can play. Their fans probably get annoyed like we do because they know how well they can play, but then they don't see that as much as they expect to. And we saw what Ollie Watkins did at Exeter last season. It was pretty much phenomenal. Exeter could literally not get our League 2 if they tried in the last like, several years, but they... Literally just had Ollie Watkins and he he got him straight up. So they are a good side. We we're gonna be have to be on our best, but we know our team is a lot more effective away from home. And Brentford aren't a team who's just gonna sit back and soak up pressure for us. They're not gonna do that. They're gonna go and attack us, and that's gonna leave a lot a lot of space hopefully for the likes of Cessna and Ojo to attack them. Because I really hope Cessna was playing left wing in this game because it'd be very very dangerous. And um, Ben. Brentford tend to play a four two three one, which is obviously Slav's formation of choice. Uh, or the one he loves to play, do you think he'll go with a like-for-like -like system? No, it's not. He likes 4-3-3, in my opinion, but that's just neither here nor there. Um, well, I love, most of last season we played kind of 4-2-3-1. Four, four, three, three, it's a bit no? of a much. It's a much of a I'm not going to. It's a much of a much. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with you here on tactics, Ben. I think that no, I, I, would, uh, I would be no. far outweighed. No, but... it's much of a muchness. You're you're completely right. I'm just being. Um, facetious facetious very much so um, I think I think he probably will line up the same as he does every single week um, uh, I, I think that we enjoy playing against Brentford because like like you said they will give us a lot of space and they're quite an ex expressive team um, and I think that we could probably cut through them if we if we held our patience and our nerve um, like like we did last season but against Millwall this weekend we sort of he seemed very hurried, especially on the counter, and it was some very poor decision making. I'd like to see that sort of get better over the over the in this game against Brentford. Um, and I think it can get better because Brentford will they will move about a lot and they will circulate the ball, and then it creates gaps. And I think we can we're clever enough to exploit them. We've got the quality of players to exploit them, and I hope um, sincerely that we do do that on a number of occasions. And um, it's the kind of team that we like to play against, though. Um, not a physical team. They'll give us time on the ball to do our thing. And generally, when we come up against teams that do that, I feel like Wolves is maybe the exception where they just had too much quality for us. It should be a team that Fulham will enjoy playing against on Saturday. Yeah, we sh we showed that last season when we played them that we, although they had a lot of maybe pressure in the second half, that we we didn't really seem properly under the cosh that we thought we might lose or concede. 
So I think, yeah, we just need to bide our time with this. We, we don't need to go full throttle attack. We can just bide our time, make sure we're picking the right passes at the right time, choosing the right time to go forward on either wing. We're going on down on the byline or we're cutting inside, mm. whatever we're doing. But I think it is critical that Cess actually starts at left wing because yeah. although Ojo is good and Cabano's good, like Cabano, I've given a lot of praise over the last year. I think the way Cess performed against a similar team like Sheffield United, it shows he needs to be he needs to be going forward and... Yeah, I think it could be a very, very good game, and it's going to be a hard one to predict because it really depends how each team plays, really. Because both teams know we know have very, very good teams, but they don't often turn up. But I think, yeah, I think we are playing a team who suits our style of play. I think it'll be good because the pitch is slightly smaller than the ones we've been playing on. Again, Wolves' pitch looks massive, and I think it is massive. Um, and Sheffield United looks much the same, whereas Brentford and our pitches are fairly small, and therefore we know how to play on on those smaller pitches, and we seem to be more comfortable on them. Much in the same way that, like, uh, I dread making this com- uh, this comparison, but West Ham used to be quite quite at home on their pitch because it was small, and then ever since they moved to the the London Stadium because it's huge, they look quite out of their depth. But yeah, Fulham, I think it will be good for us, um, and we we know how to make space on smaller pitches. And also, it's going to be a good atmosphere and uh, Fulham do generally seem to rise the occasion on derbies. They don't tend to freeze too much apart from in playoff semi-finals. I mean, a home team won't expect us to come out the way we are going to be. So I think they probably won't like it too much and uh, they'll start trying to put the foot in and we can just pass around, hopefully. And um, plans for the day, Jack? We've... um... You're thinking about nominating a pub. Right, yeah, I'm cooking up a plan because a lot of Fulham fans are... Here yeah, I've heard on the grapevine don't don't know where they're going to be drinking. Not quite sure what they're what they're doing beforehand. So I'm, I'm making a, an early call that myself, Sammy, and and a few more of of the boys will be down in. We're going to go to South Ealing, um, which is about a 20 minute walk from Griffin Park. Um, there's some nice pubs around there, and 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 it's a walking distance from the pub. So we're gonna we're gonna probably be in the Castle Inn, which is just past um just past uh, South Ealing Station. It's about a five minute walk. It's between Northfields and South Ealing. If you're coming from further west. Um, and it's a nice pub, lets away fans in, has a really good, you know, garden area, and it's quite big and spacious. So, should be should be all right. There's if you know if there's any if it's packed or anything like that. There's three pubs around there. One's called the New Inn, and one's called the Rose and Crown. They're all they're all very nice pubs. We will post on Twitter as to to where we are. Um, yeah. But I'm gonna I'm gonna nominate the Castle Inn, uh, and that's probably where you'll find us from about midday. Yeah. On on Saturday. And um, Jack's gonna get the first round in, right? I'm gonna get the first round in for anyone that's there before midday. Oh. <laughs> It's a, it's a big call. It's I big really call. hope there's 100 people there. Yeah, well, obviously, if there's 100 people there, then I'm just going to have to go home. <laughs> <laughs> not, not go to the game. <laughs> One of those things. So, uh, well, that's it. We'll I'll see you here. We'll see you at the Castle Inn yeah. on Saturday. If you're going down to the game and you're stuck for a pub and you're not sure where the Fulham fans are heading, I'm sure there'll be other pubs full of Fulham fans as well, but that's the one we're going to go to. And uh, the Besotted Boys are going to bring some... Um, Going to bring some tools, and we're going to have a little scrap in the in the garden. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's a straight off, it's a straight off between Fulhamish and Bee Sotted at the yeah. Castle Inn. Billy the Bee there with a bandana wrapped yeah. around his head, and Farrell the Fullerman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we it's will see you there if you're going to Brentford on Saturday. Hopefully, see you there, or even if you're not going to the game and you just fancy a drink in West London uh, on Saturday, feel free to join us as well. Right, let's open the post bag before this gets any weirder. Jack, what's coming in? We've had some some brilliant questions this week. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna lay us up with my favourite question that we've got in absolutely ages. This is a a, a direct classic, um, and it came in via email at half time during during the uh, the game against Millwall and it came in from Matthew and he 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 wrote in his in his subject there was no message it just said anyone else really missing the half time cottage conundrum yes <laughs> yes i'm missing two things at the moment i'm missing the fulham of last season i'm missing the half time cottage conundrum oh right i see yeah oh yeah that makes sense that's never, it's never coming back <laughs> yeah that one's gone i don't know about the cottage yeah. conundrum well, let's have, we'll have a word with ivan and see well, what we can ivan do well ivan listens to the podcast every tuesday on his way to uh, present the heart breakfast show yeah, um, on the ivan. m25 normally about 3am in the morning so ivan if you can get back to us on that one because it's clearly missed. Okay, so... Uh, sure, is that, an, is that a ga- another gap for Fulhamish to exploit? Yeah, we'll start Fulhamish conundrums. Farrell's on the case. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's good. All of them will be Tony Callio. Yeah, every single one. <laughs> the bone crusher himself. <laughs> right, we've got one from a uh, friend of the pod, Drew Heatley, 
who who says, Jallo's cameo on the weekend showed how light we are at centre-back. Though he wasn't awful, what other options do we have if the current defensive injuries continue pre-window? Anyone at youth level impressing? I'm going to go to Dom Betts. I want to walk like one. you, talk like you, is all you need to know. <laughs> can, we, uh, can, we, can, you, can you clarify that for the listeners? Jerome Apoku that... is the answer to every everyone. No, but I think we, <laughs> we are ridiculously light there, and I don't know why we didn't improve more. Because technically Callas counted as a centre-back signing, but he doesn't really because he had him last season. Marcelo Jallo, I think the best thing I've seen from him this season when he was the second preseason game in Poznan when he just ran me on his phone and on, on the halfway line by himself looking like he had no mates. But um, yeah, I, I, I find it weird we didn't sign anyone. It just doesn't make any sense to me because it was clearly a, an issue last season. Ream is a good centre-back, but he isn't like a leading championship centre-back, I'd say. But yeah, it, it is weird. And I mean, I'd say our strength in the youth, youth ranks on our defensive options is our, our options going forward. Like we saw Adebayo who's doing well. Uh, Michael Elstone's doing well at the moment as well. And uh, Humphreys did well last season, I think, although I think he's currently injured. So yeah, I think we are ridiculously light at centre-back and it doesn't help when you just refuse to play your third best centre-back. Ben, talk to me about Aaron Davis. I really like Aaron Davis. And I don't think he gets a hell of a lot of credit uh, uh, for, for the most part. But he's he's... Pretty tall, very mobile, and he's got a very good um, crisp pass on him. Um, he reads the game very well, good at good at the old uh, perception and standing tackles and that sort of thing. And when I covered the game uh, last year, in fact, for Fulham against West Ham under-23s, he was by far a stand-up performer, and he was only on the pitch for about 25 minutes. Uh, he's a Welsh youth international, I believe. Um, and I think if out of that current crop of centre-backs, he probably looks the one that would probably be most comfortable if he did get thrown in at a deep end and, and get into a championship squad in in the near future. I really do like I'm a him. big fan of how he doesn't fuck about the second A in his name. Just one A. Don't need it. Yeah. <laughs> don't, need, don't need second A. a. Oh, oh, now I've got a lot more respect for him. Yeah, yeah precisely. Sam? Um, yeah, I just think it's mad that we didn't sign another centre-back if Slav doesn't rate Michael Muddle. Fair enough if... Um, <laughs> What? Michael Muddle. Michael Muddle. <laughs> Michael Muddle, right. yeah. Muddle now. Yeah, I know. I'm constantly in a muddle. Um, he doesn't rate him, so why didn't he ask for another centre-back that he clearly trusts? I mean, I would pick Michael Maddle, and therefore I don't think we do need another centre-back because I think we have enough depth. But clearly Slav doesn't rate him, so get someone else. Why are we relying on Marcelo Jallo, who clearly Slav doesn't rate either, otherwise he wouldn't only be playing in bit part off the bench. This one's from FFC Hector. He says, should we expect Norwood to be our starting centre midfielder over Johansson now that he's asserted himself as our penalty taker? No. Well, the penalty taker thing, I don't think. I don't think the penalty taking thing is relevant. For uh, I, That sounds really harsh. I don't think the penalty taking thing is relevant, but... I can see Norwood being our starting centre mid for the foreseeable, given the form of Stephanie Hansen. I think this is a really valid question because, you know, when you actually put the context of last year's penalty conundrum in, into into thing, that that's a lot of points. And it, it does make a difference having a penalty taker on the team. Yeah, but I agree with you. It's not the, this year. I agree with you. It's not the, uh, it's not the, uh, the be-all and end-all and the reason why Norwood should be starting in centre midfield, but I think it's a consideration. It's another string to his bow. Precisely. That's it. And Along with them Hollywood passes. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Dom, have you got any any uh, any thoughts on this? I think he should continue at the moment. I, th- I mean, the amount of penalties he got last season, if we had someone in the squad who could put them away, that's an extra 9 or 10 goals throughout the season. I don't think he's done horrifically bad. If he stops just trying to play this crossfield ball every five seconds and then one come off in the game, it wouldn't be too bad. But I mean, as you said, the former Stephanie Hansen hasn't been great and Norwood hasn't particularly played badly, I don't think. So yeah, I don't think see a reason for him to be dropped really. Yeah, Norwood's played well. I yeah, I just don't think that the penalty taking reason is that much of a factor of why he should be above Stephanie Hansen. Okay. This one's from John Quinn. He says, Why does Slav persevere with Sessignon at left back? I'm assuming this is given the fact that Reem is but you know, in, in in interview this week, Slav said that he was going to continue playing Sess at both left wing and left back. And I don't think that's to do with Reem's, you know, fitness. He he actively said that way before Tim Reem failed a fitness test. Do we, do, you know, is this is this something that we can't see? I think you've answered the question, in a way. As Slav said, he would continue playing. Yeah, he's saying why? What? Well, <clears throat> well, the reason because Reem was injured. Yeah, but there, there was a lot <laughs> more. There was a lot of options we could have used. There was no. I don't think there was a need to drop Sester left back at all. We have a doy. Then Maddell should have been playing at centre back next to Callas with Fredericks at right back. I don't. I didn't see why that isn't a feasible option. Unless I genuinely think Maddow just slept with his wife or something because he should he should have been playing on Saturday. Either that or he's got an injury that 
It just hasn't been reported. Fulham have got a really bad habit at the moment of not telling us when people are injured. Yeah, they do. So Maddle could could well be injured long term for all we know. That's why he's not appearing, but they've just not said anything about it. I feel like he's playing Cess at left wing and left back because he feels like there's a lot... Obviously, we know there's a huge amount of talent there and if he's going to play multiple positions, then why not have him playing all the way down that left-hand side? I think, obviously, at youth level uh, for England, he's been playing left back. Um, it was only recently since the World Cup that he's actually moved up to left wing and looked really good there. But I think for for us, he does a much better job because there's less responsibility on him at left at left wing. But at some point, he will have to take that responsibility on and play as a left back. Okay, this one's from Eric of the North. He says, how much patience and time do we continue to give camera in order to see if he's quality enough to play at this level? I like his drive and pace, but I'd like to see some goals. Our strikers have been anemic in the box. I feel like we should carry on with him, because mainly because you can see over this short period of time since we've had him that... Um, his build-up play is really coming on now. I think this week and was probably the best we've seen out of Kamara in terms of his build-up play, his drive, and his bringing other people into into the game. I do wish he'd stay a little bit more central. Um, and but the fact that he's he's coming into the box a lot more and building, bringing others into play, is only a good sign. The more you bring others into play, the more space you have, and the more space you have to exploit and therefore put the ball home. So I say, keep on. Um, this season he may not produce much, but in the coming couple of he may uh, may explode for a bit he's far more intelligent with the ball than i thought he was going to mm. be i just thought he was the pure pace pure power bull in a china shop and had no technical ability on the ball and you saw on saturday that he he can dribble he can beat a man he can also find the space and find another man he rarely gives the ball away actually now mm. he was terrible in those opening games but clearly it was just a bit of an acclimatization problem and now we're starting to see some quality from Kamara I don't still think he should be starting yep Dom um, I quite actually liked the strikeless system he played against Sheffield United although Aite didn't have a great game he was still critical to the way we played and I think it is a system we could and maybe should revert to a bit more often this season because if we're playing away from home who are a team who are going to attack us I'm not saying we should play the system against Brentford but it, it, off, when a team's pushing up forward and you have three players who are r- rapid, absolutely lightning quick, then it does work because a lot. That's a what the lot of Sheffield United fans were saying on Twitter was that we just couldn't deal with the pace. And I'm not Font's not slow, but he's definitely not an Ojo and he's not a Cessignon. So maybe like we need to just actually play a striker system. And it's not a false nine system. It's just we're not playing with a striker. There is a massive difference because a false nine is it's a specific position on the pitch. But I think. It just is. It just it just it annoys me because it's not a false nine because that's just the actual particular position. But I think we we could play a striker system with three quick players mm. with like a, a an Ojo, Cesar, and Cabano. But like we saw how well Cabano and Aise played in, when they played in that position last season. So I don't see a reason why we can't do that. But yeah, I think we need to continue with Font and then bring in, uh, Kamara off the bench because he's definitely more of an impact player than a starting player. Jack, you were AK forty seven's biggest critic yeah. at the start of the season. How much is your opinion? changed on him that's what I'm most interested to hear a little bit actually I um I I do I I will concede that he has he has improved and you know I'm I'm glad that he's improved you know one of the things we said was you know I wrote camera off pretty quickly I said I'd love to be proved wrong I didn't think I was going to be but I said I'd love to be proved wrong and you know he's slowly and bit by bit he he is working on it and I, I can see what he's trying to do these three his little cameos against um, against Derby, against Sheffield United, and and at the weekend have all been you know quite good, quite quite impressive, and I and I really have thought that he's you know he's much better off the bench, and he does he is improving. I think it's, there's a couple of things. He made the right decision against Sheffield United to play in Ojo. The ball still wasn't great. He actually put you know he actually should have played the pass three or four seconds earlier, and Ojo would have had a clear shot on goal. And the deflection is actually what takes that in. Whereas if he'd played the ball slightly earlier, the Ojo would have had a clean shot on goal. You know, maybe that's worked in our favour, but it doesn't mean that the pass was correct. He, you know, he made the right decision, but too late. Yeah. He did a, a thing against Derby where he held the ball up and flicked it over his head mm. um, for, I think it was uh, Ayite to run onto at the time. Yeah, and it he and it did really well. And that was that was a good bit of hold up play and quite good awareness to, to to see that happen and go over his head. And also at the weekend, like you said, he kept the ball actually quite well and, and marauded around with it a bit which is fine. I agree with Ben. I'd like to see him in the box a little bit more, but at the same time, he he is making more and more of the right decisions. 
that isn't an indicative of saying he should start. He's still not ready for this level, I don't think. But at the same time, he's improving week on week. And, you know, it's it's important to remember that what we're doing here is we're picking out moments from Cameron and saying, oh, that was good. If we did the same for any other player, if we picked out one thing that Tom Kenny did in any given game, we're like, oh, that was good. So therefore, Cameron, or therefore, Tom Kenny is, you know, mm. if he was playing yeah. awfully and we just picked out one moment, people would be like, well, you're just picking out one moment. But Cameron is improving. He's not there yet by any means. He's not going to be the finished article this season, I don't think. But I think we keep hold of him. We keep giving him 15 minutes at the end of the games. He will score a couple of goals. That's going to happen. He'll set up a few as well. And ultimately, I think over a a long period of time, over a year or so, he can become a useful player for us. What I said at the time was I didn't think that at the, his age he was any better than what Corley Woodrow was or, or you know, or a lot of those players that we, we've seen go. And I still stand by that. I don't, you know, Corley Woodrow's not playing well for Bristol City, but at the same time, if we gave him 15 minutes at the end of the game, every game, he'd also score a couple of goals and probably set up a few as well because he's a striker. So I think that the point is still valid, but Camera is coming more and more into his own and he will eventually be a useful weapon for Fulham. Uh, any more questions or are we out of time? No, I think we've got we've got one, two or one, two more. Clayton Bricklemeyer says corners. Oh. Should we be taking more short corners in light of how fruitless the current approach has been? Ben German, I know that's like heroin to you. <laughs> it, it, well, I would say it's like heroin to me. Basically, longer corners or corner straight into the box, have a very, very, very low chance conversion rate um, in comparison to those that do short corners. And I think the more you take the ball outside the box, the more space you've got to exploit in behind and the more you can draw people out and therefore work the ball into different areas. I think that for a team as small as us, it would work in the short term in the ha- in, and then in the hope that we'd get someone in in January who's uh, probably a bigger striker or centre-back that would um, that would actually affect our longer corners. Um, I think long or like corner straight into the box have a conversion rate that is barely into into like double figures. It's not even, I don't think it's as high as about 4%. Um, and then I also saw a tweet earlier um, about someone saying that we should be looking at a centre-back in the ilk of someone like Aidan Flint, who I think in general probably isn't too much of a bad shout. Um, he definitely off for height and, and has a certain amount of ball-playing ability yeah, and, knows this, and, and knows this league very well. Um, he's scored a fair few already this season. It would be a nice pickup. Yeah, it would he's not? He's very much a ball playing centre back, and and he's often misguided because he scores a lot of headers. As people lump him as the big man, but mm-hmm. interesting actually... to note that our goal effectively came from a penalty. I was just about to say that we, someone actually did reply to this, and that's got to be the first time in an age where you know something good has come of a, a long corner or any corner yeah. into the box. Chris, who, who, who Chris was... says we won a, co- a penalty from a corner on Sat in in relation to this actual question. Mm. So fair play to him. I was going to bring that up. I think with corners. You've got to have different options from a corner. You can't always be playing it short and always be playing it long, but you need to know when to use the right option at the right time. Because you've got a corner in the 90th minute, you're not going to lump it into the box, are you? If you're like one it up, you're going to keep the ball in the corner. But I also think you need. there are times where you need to use both. There's times where you need to retain the ball and create another chance, but there's other times where you need to just get that ball in the box and you, if you feel like you've got the momentum out of time, you can win a header. So I think... it. It is a better idea to be playing it short, but I think there are times when you need to be using a big ball into the box. Mm. I do agree. Yeah, of course. And in terms of, obviously, you've got to mix it up in order to keep teams guessing as well. If you go short every single time, teams will suss you out pretty quickly. So you have to be able to deliver into the box as well, just so that, you know, even then your short options aren't always marked. Another thing that was, uh, it's not really in relation to any corners, but um, just in general play from the weekend, I thought... um, Callas was imperious in the air this weekend. Very, very good. Really, really good. And uh, Adoy as well. Yeah, very good. I think that one of the things we will, we'll see is, is Adoy being a reasonable mainstay of this team from from now on. And, you know, there's a lot of chat about Suarez and, and all of those things. And obviously Adoy is so versatile that it's useful to have someone like that around. And the, the, the Suarez chat will inevitably come up every time Sessignon has to play at left-back. But I think in the mainstay, we're probably going to see Adoy at left-back for the rest of the season. I wouldn't be averse to that at all. I love him. I think he's a great player. Right. Well, I think that's all we've got time for on this week's episode of Fulhamish. And uh, on the day that a royal wedding was announced, I think it was a royally good podcast today. So uh, well done, everybody. We'll be back. This is a bit different. We're going to record next week's podcast on Sunday after the Brentford game because next Monday we have the... 
FSF Awards, the Football Supporters Federation Awards, and it's on the Monday night, which is terrible planning from them because obviously we have Fulhamish on Monday night. Obviously we have Fulhamish on Monday nights, but um, you know we are we are not dedicated to the cause, and we're 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 running off to the awards ceremony, of course. Uh, to have some drinks and some food. So we'll be doing the podcast and all the reactions to the Brentford game on Sunday. Um, make sure you check out all the latest articles and our YouTube channel as well. You can find them all at fullamish.co.uk. So all that remains to be said for today's podcast is that we need to name this week's podcast. Secretary Jack, what have you got? I have got a name, which is, uh, which is impressive. I'm going to go with Surprisingly Tame Lions. Ah, nice. I like it. Which I thought was was reasonable. I think that'll do. I did like flat whites, but I saw it too late. So, um, so surprisingly tame lions it is. There we go. Surprisingly tame lions it is. Uh, we will be back next Sunday with all the reaction from the West London derby and a preview to Birmingham City, who will be visiting the cottage. So all that remains to be said for the second time. Tom Betts, thank you very much. It's all right. Jack Collins, thank you very much. Thank you, Sammy. And Ben, thank you very much. Thanks, boss. We'll be in the Castle Inn on on Saturday so come join us from midday um, around South between South Ealing and Northfield Station it's on St Mary's Road and Jack will buy the pints if you're there before midday correct bye laters cheers big bag of fat Christmas cans ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. This spooky season, have a listen to Let's Talk About Myths, baby! A podcast about Greek mythology that tells it honestly and often with a lot of gore, at least when it comes to these spooky season episodes. Every week in October, I have released a new episode with various levels of spooky in Greek mythology. There are ancient stories of haunted houses, ghosts, werewolves, general tragedy, and even a very bloody tree. Greek mythology has a little something for everyone, especially when it comes to spooky season. So listen to Let's Talk About Myths, baby, every week, wherever you get your podcasts. A cash recommends. recommends.